to singing together this morning. Praises to a God who's worthy of it. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at the last half of the chapter. We did the first half last week and looking at the last half of the chapter starting in verse 19 this week. Uh, how many kids in here have gone through like a growth spurt lately? Like you kind of all of a sudden just got a lot. Were you pretty hungry when that happened? And, and those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about, that there are these times where like our kids, maybe it's when they're an infant and they're just suddenly growing like, wow, they need a lot more milk or formula or whatever. And then, then they hit the teenage years and there's another growth spurt that happens and it's like they need two to three meals between the end of school and bedtime. And, and all of a sudden it's just like we're growing and we need more. We got to spend some time at the end of this week uh, with uh, friends of ours and uh, some of you maybe met Kevin when he was here. I think he's like 6'7 or 6'8. He's really tall, but he told us this weekend that he was uh, the shortest guy in his class up until 10th grade when he grew 8 inches in one year. I can't imagine uh, how much food uh, he required uh, during that one year of life. But uh, when we are growing, we become needy. We, our bodies need more as we grow. And I think it's the same in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, we saw how the church in Jerusalem reacted to the saving work that God was doing in a different place. A lot of the work that God had done and that they had seen was right there in Jerusalem, but now Peter was in Caesarea, some miles away, and there the gospel being proclaimed to Gentiles, and they saw the Gentiles believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit poured out on them just as it was on the Jewish believers at the beginning. And so we saw last week really kind of like there was this hinge moment where the door of ministry to Gentiles swings wide open. And the church that was in danger of being divided by differences, the church that was kind of quick to criticize, remember, as they heard report of the work that God was doing, their first reaction was one of criticism. And with the potential for great division in the church, they were upset that Peter had been eating with Gentiles. But by God's grace, as Peter shares the testimony of God's work among the Gentiles, they say, well, praise God then, right? That, that God might even give repentance that leads to life to Gentiles. They got the same gift as us. Praise God. Right? So the door is kind of open for ministry to Gentiles now. We're in the book of Acts, which is really about how Jesus' work continues through Holy Spirit-empowered disciples who proclaim the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and moving out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have been, uh, we, we did kind of chapters 1 through 7 in 2020, and now we've been working on chapters 8 through 12. The last section of the book, we're going to take a break pretty soon. We're going through 8 through 12. We've got two more weeks in the month of May, two more times in, in Acts chapter 12, then we're going to take a break before we look at the last section. We're going to go through Philippians over the summer. Uh, but in that last section, we're going to see how the gospel really explodes out to the ends of the earth. And what we're looking at today here at the end of chapter 11 is kind of like a trailer, like a little teaser of how this is going to start. We're going to see that the, the center for ministry starts to shift from the city of Jerusalem to a city 300 miles north 
called Antioch. So we're going to be uh, looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. What we're going to see there is we're going to see the church of God not only expanding into a new area, but the church of God growing in great number. And because the church is going through a growth spurt there in Antioch, there's a number of things that the church needs. And I think as we go through it, we might recognize that by God's grace, we too, as a growing church, are a church that has a number of needs. And I think a lot of the things that the first, or, yeah, first century church in Antioch needed are the same kinds of things that the 21st century church in Iowa Falls needs as well. So I've been really encouraged just by walking through this passage this week. And I hope that we'll be encouraged as we go through it together. And then as if you're in a life group, you meet uh, with your life group and walk through the guide. Uh, be further challenged to apply the Word of God. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? I'll pray first and then we'll read. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you that you do reveal yourself, as Jerry mentioned, uh, just in, in creation generally. But I thank you also that you reveal yourself so clearly in your word specifically. You give it to us that we might know you. And in knowing you, trust you and, 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 and love you and worship you and obey you. That's what we want. We want to become people like that. People molded by your word. People motivated by your glory. People making disciples all throughout your world. So uh, I can't... I can't uh, preach enthusiastically enough to make that happen, but I know that you, by your Spirit, can work in each of us and in all of us together that we might become that kind of church. I pray that you would do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's God's Word, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the Word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Amen. You can be seated. Excellent. Well, inside your bulletin, and as you're seated, you might notice that we did add a couple of rows back. We're still, we're still one row short from where we used to be, but we'd had everything separated and spread out, and that caused people to be sitting on top of each other. Uh, so now we've added a couple more rows. You can hopefully spread out a little more, and we look forward to the day pretty soon when we're all together in one service as well. Uh, but uh, in your bulletin, there is a sermon notes, life group guide uh, that might be 
helpful for you to take out and take notes uh, as we walk through this. Uh, but you see the first point there is just this, a growing church. That's what we get to see in Antioch in verses 19 to 21, a growing church. If you remember back, just context, I think I've maybe repeated this almost every sermon throughout this book of Acts, that, that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised is that he would send his Holy Spirit to empower his disciples that they might be his witnesses. And remember where? In Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen that start to expand and happen here in Acts so far. But in Acts chapter 8, this kind of interesting, like most of what happened in Acts chapters 1 through 7 was all in Jerusalem. So you're kind of waiting, like, well, Jesus said it's going to expand to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but like when and how? And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, so 1 verse 8 says it's going to happen, and in chapter 8, verse 1, we had read this. This is right after Stephen was executed, had rocks thrown at him until he died. And right after that, it says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Okay, So it wasn't so much like they had a church planting vision, raised a bunch of money, and then sent people out to do this mission. It was, if we stay here, we might die. And so people start scattering, and the church then goes into all these different places where it hadn't been before. That's kind of where we're picking it up here now in chapter 11, verse 19. Part of how the gospel is going to spread to those regions is because of the persecution that had started in Jerusalem. So that's what Luke refers back to in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. And he tells us, now we've got some some names of places that most of us have never been. So so I'm going to put a map up so that we can see this. Uh, There's the map. If you look at that kind of red circle down in the bottom, that's where most of the book of Acts has taken place so far. And so if if we were zooming in on that map, uh, we could see in more detail places like Caesarea and Jerusalem and that kind of thing. All of a sudden now here, we're expanding quite a bit. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, about 100 miles off of the coast. This town called Antioch that we're referring to, that, that's being referred to here, that is in what is now the southern tip of Turkey, almost near the border of Syria. Okay? So all of a sudden, the, the focus in the book of Acts, which was all in kind of one geographic region, has greatly expanded uh, all the way up 300 miles north of Jerusalem, to this city of Antioch. It's important to understand geography in the book of Acts because that's kind of how the book is structured. So that's why I spend a little bit of time uh, with a map and also because I like maps. Um, so so that's, that's up there. And the church is growing and expanding. Okay, But notice this here in verse 19, that the church is growing and expanding, but only among one type of people. Because notice what it says. They're speaking the word to no one except Jews. So the majority of the first converts to Christianity had a Jewish religious and ethnic background. And as they go to these new places, they just find other fellow Jews and share the gospel with them. And they're leaving all of the Gentiles out. But then all of a sudden, as though though a couple of people have an understanding of what God's plan has been for all along, uh, it says this in verse 20. 
but there were some of them. Love these guys. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So again, that's Cyprus, that island in the Mediterranean Sea, and Cyrene, which is actually in North Africa, right? There were some of those who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, so Hellenists would be Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people, okay? Gentiles, right? But more specifically, Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people. So Greek-speaking Gentiles are now hearing the gospel from these men who are coming from Cyprus and Cyrene to the city of Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And the result? Well, here's what it says. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Praise God. Hand of the Lord is with them as they do this work. And the gospel now is not just spreading to new places. It's spreading to new kinds of people. And the church is growing in number. We'll notice that occasionally as we've gone through the book of Acts, that, that there's some attention given to numbers of people. Early on we saw that, and now we see it again. That it says here in verse 21, And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So, so the church is growing in number. We, we as a church, we tend not to do a lot of focusing on numbers. We track a few things, like we track our worship service attendance. And as we look at that, that does show in that way that we're a growing church. That doesn't say everything, but it says something, right? That, that we're a, a growing church. In fact, I just looked at those numbers, and last month, in the month of April, we averaged 151 people here for a worship service on Sunday morning, which is the second highest monthly average in at least the last 12 years, okay? So we haven't gone through uh, persecution uh, like the church in Antioch was, but we've gone through a pandemic, and by God's grace, we've come out on the other side, and there's still people, right? Uh, we're still here, and we've even grown uh, during that time. Our average worship service attendance has increased by 52% over the last 10 years. And here's the, I think, encouraging thing. It's not because we have like, well, we've got this plan, and we're going to write a book on how to do it. We don't know. Uh, we, just, we, just, we just pray and, and do what God says to do, and God grows the church. I read this quote this week that I think is, uh, it resonated with me. You don't have to be cool, big, strong, technologically savvy, politically fashionable, or culturally relevant. You just have to repent of your sin and commit your weird, broken church to its king. It's the sinners he wants. It's the losers he's choosing. Your weird, messy church is God's plan A for your world and there is no plan B, right? And praise God. And yes, I did just call you weird losers, right? Uh, you're fine with it. That's what we are, right? We're not a bunch of people like, hey, we're the ones who have it all together. And so I'm sure God could use us. Like, we're, no, we're, we're broken. We're sinners before a holy God. And somehow he's at work through us and his church is growing. Well, praise God, right? What are we going to do with that? What does the church in Antioch do with that? Verse 22, this is where he's like, uh-oh, again. Just like that passage before where it says, and Peter opened his mouth, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> that doesn't always go well. Here, here, and listen to what it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Remember last time, just in chapter 11, when the church in Jerusalem got the report of God pouring out his spirit on Gentiles, Peter's having a great mission trip, and the church gets the report before Peter even comes back, and their response isn't, 
praise be to God, the response is, hey, you've been eating with Gentiles, right? The, the, the response to the report is not altogether encouraging. But what do we see here this time? The church seems to be growing in their understanding of God's plan. So it says this, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Back in chapter 8, when there was a church growing in a new area, they sent the apostles to kind of go and check in on that. Barnabas, he's not one of the apostles. In fact, his name, his mom didn't give him the name Barnabas. Did you know that? So if you go back to, I think it's Acts chapter 4, his name is Joseph. But he is so gifted by God at encouraging others that they start calling him Barnabas, which just means son of encouragement. You've got to be pretty good at encouraging others if your nickname is just son of encouragement, right? Barnabas is a great name. If you're choosing names for children out of this passage, I'd go Barnabas before Agabus, okay? Um, but Barnabas just means son of encouragement. And so, he's the one that they send to Antioch. 300 miles north of where he was in Jerusalem. And here's what he finds, verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I love this. I love that Barnabas was willing to go. That's the first. He came and saw, right? He could have been like, Antioch? I don't know anybody in Antioch. That's 300 miles away, right? And I don't have any frequent flyer miles built up. Like, how, how's this? But like, instead, he goes and he sees the grace of God. That's how he sees it. I love that. That he doesn't go and he doesn't come with kind of like a critical spirit like, well, are they doing what they're... Like, he comes up, he sees the grace of God. And his response to seeing the grace of God is he's glad. Like he comes and he's just happy. He's happy because God's at work in that place. And then he takes advantage of the opportunity. He's happy and he knows, hey, I need to encourage these people. I need to exhort them to to instruct them to keep on keeping on. Because it can't be easy to be one of few Christians in an area where there's hardly any Christians. So it says that he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then Luke kind of has a a bit of a commentary on Barnabas. He says, for he was a good man. In fact, this is the only time in the book of Acts that anybody gets called a good man. And it's Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then listen to what it says here. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the church keeps growing. And initially it was growing because some people were faithful in doing the work of evangelism in Antioch. And I know that some of us are intimidated by doing the work of evangelism. Like, I don't feel like that's a gift that God's given me. I know I'm still called to do it, but that's a hard thing to do. Is that the only way that God grows the church? Well, I mean, ultimately it's going to require some people doing the work of evangelism. But that's not the only way that God grows the church, right? It's also growing here in Antioch when faithful followers of Jesus like Barnabas, who's been given this gift of encouragement, decides to go and be uh, away from his home in order to encourage the believers there. And the result of this man using his gifts in the church is that the church is growing. A great number of people are added 
to the Lord. So, so those of you who are like, man, I'm just, I don't have that gift of evangelism and I find that really, really challenging, just know that God also uses the gift of encouragement. And some of you are great at this. And some of you, all of us, I think, could grow in it. Whether you're already great at it or you want to grow in it, let me just kind of give you two steps. I think step number one is get to know people. Because it's really hard, it's really hard to be an encouragement to people that you don't know right? That we need to, as a church, just get to know people again. Getting involved in a life group is a way to do that. You know, so our church now is like 220 people call our church their home. It's really hard to encourage that many people, right? Unless you get a microphone on your head like I I have, right? Most of us, like, you can't know all of those people and be an encouragement to all of them. But you can be in a life group and be an encouragement to like 12 of them, right? You can get involved in, in a Bible study and, and be an encouragement to those. And you don't have to like look for something in the church calendar. You can just find people in the church family that are in need of encouragement uh, and encourage them. Uh, just just the, the, the words that Mark and Linda and some of the students had to say about children's and youth ministry, we need to encourage young people in their faith. So by being involved as, as leaders in Awana and whatever else that we are doing that. And then, so that's the next step, is just doing something. Uh, Deaconesses are working and kind of getting the calendar all filled for nursery workers, because some of you remember, some of you remember because it's happening right now, but some of you remember that when you were parenting children under the year of three, uh, under the age of three years, that's exhausting. Just, Just like, just normal days are exhausting. And what an encouragement to be able to come to gather together for worship with God's people and know that somebody you can trust is going to take your kid for an hour. Like what, a, what, a, what a way to encourage one another, right? A number of you throughout the last couple of weeks, as, as Ryan and Jeanette step into this adventure and this call on God, a call from God in their life to become foster parents, you have stepped in and loved and cared for them in a number of ways. You've been an encouragement to them, right? So, so just being alert to what God is doing, like Barnabas was, coming and seeing the grace of God, being glad for work that God is doing, and say, how can I be an encouragement to people? Right? Getting, getting to know people. Uh, so, so like, the, I think the CDC says it's okay to get to know people again. Like, we can talk to people again. Uh, that, that's good, right? So, so, so we need to, like, maybe you've even gotten it out of habit. And, and part of it, out of just respect for other people, like, I'm not sure, you know, how, how comfortable they are with having a conversation. So we've maybe kind of stayed away from people a little bit. Like, let's, let's get to know people. I've, I've been asked even a few times, and don't feel guilty if you're one of the people that's asked me this, but people will say to me, like, hey, who's, who's that? Who's that over there? Uh, I, what I usually tell you is I tell you who it is. But what I want to tell you is, go ask them. Like, I know, but I'm not going to give you the answer. Like, just go, 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 talk to, so, so, <laughs> go, talk to, go talk to somebody. Like, find somebody you don't know and say, and I think, you know, as a church, generally, we were good at that, and, and maybe we've gotten out of that habit. So just a, a reminder, uh, an encouragement to, to one another is to use one another's names. And if you go do that to somebody, like you finally get up like, oh, I'm going to go talk to them, and then you find out you actually introduced yourself to them three weeks ago and totally forgot about it, that's okay, right? You end up feeling awkward, but it humbles you, and they feel less awkward because of it. So, so just do it, right? Um, all right, let's, let's keep going. We need encouragers. We need evangelists. What else does a growing church need? Verse 25. 
So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. All right, so now he's going to bring somebody else in on this. Now, keep in mind, Saul, we just had, had very little introduction to him. Back in chapter 7 and 8, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He wanted to do whatever he could to stop the spread of the gospel. Execution of Stephen, he oversaw it. Dragging men and women out of their homes, right, who professed faith in Jesus. That's who he was, persecutor of the church. But God miraculously saves him on the road to Damascus in chapter 9. We read of his conversion, and he now becomes somebody who wants to build the church that he was once trying to destroy. God is gracious. So he starts doing that work, and there's opposition, like he's in, under the threat of death. And so he leaves, and he goes back to his hometown of Tarsus. And we haven't heard about him since then. Until we get now to chapter 11, where Barnabas recognizes, yes, the church needs an encourager. Just a happy guy like me who can see where they're at and say, God's at work and be, and be an encourager to them. But they also need something more than that. And rather than Barnabas trying to do everything, he's just like, hey, I'm going to go get Saul. Right? I, I bet this guy can do it. So, so he goes, now he's already traveled from Jerusalem up to uh, Antioch, and now he's going to travel to Tarsus to go get Saul, because he knows that the church needs teachers. So look at, that's, that's what he does in verse uh, 25. Verse 26 says this, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. How, how, how much would you like to be in that class, right? One year of Barnabas and Saul teaching these new believers. They had heard enough of the gospel. God had done a work in their heart. They turned from their sin and they trusted in Jesus. They're now a part of the body of Christ, but there's still more that they need to be learning. And so they become students of Saul and Barnabas, and they teach them for a year. One note too, did you note that that it says there in an Antioch the disciples were first called Christians? So, so far in the book of Acts, believers have been called a few different things. They've been called believers. They've been called saints. They've been called brothers and sisters. They've been called people of the way. But now all of a sudden they're being called Christians. And we don't know if they made this name up for themselves or if the non-believers there in Antioch made it up and kind of gave them that nickname. It seems more likely that they didn't make that up themselves, but those who were not following Jesus looked at this group of people following Jesus and called them Christians or little Christs. They, and I think this is awesome. They so associated these people. They're brand new believers, but they're being taught well. And so their lives must have been so radically transformed that the other people look at them and they're like, they're like little Christs. Like they're, they're, there's something something very different about these people, right? So they start calling, being called or calling themselves Christians. It says they were first called Christians, so that's passive. That's, that's something being, that they were being called, not that they were calling themselves. Church, we need teachers too. We're a growing church, and a growing church needs teachers. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that you've given me for a number of years now to have that as one of my roles in the church. As God gives us gifts, we want to use them, and that seems to be one of the gifts that God has given me, and so I want to use that in order to teach and build up the church. 
God has also provided for us now an associate pastor who is certainly gifted in the area of teaching and desiring to grow in that, wants to come and to serve our church in that way. But you're going to need more than me and Pastor Nick, right? Thankfully, we had just at 9 o'clock a number of teachers teaching Sunday school classes. We have people teaching in youth group. We have people teaching in Awana. We have one-on-one mentors that are meeting with people. All sorts of form. We have Bible study leaders, life group leaders, all of sorts of opportunities for us to be teachers. But there's all sorts of opportunities for us. Some of you, like again, you're like, I'm off of this one because I'm not a teacher. All of us have opportunities to be teachers. It might be teachers just in our own home of our kids or our grandkids. It might be teachers of our friends who are walking through something and need to, to, to hear some solid biblical teaching. So one of the things that we're doing as a church, uh, this has been on stuff for a little bit, and actually the first of these sessions starts this Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. And this is, this is for like, so if you're like, oh, I wonder who, who's going to do that, like you. You are. Uh, do this. This would, be, this would be a great way to spend. I know the church in Antioch got a one-year Bible study with Saul and Barnabas. You're getting like a six-week Bible study with a nerd named Jeremy. It's not nearly as good as what they got, right? But I am really looking forward to whoever can come. Uh, people who are really familiar with the Bible, people who are not familiar with the Bible at all. You'll feel, you'll feel comfortable and welcome, and we're going to learn together. People who are men, people who are women, people who are like middle school, high school students. That's before school starts. Get up, come and join us. We'd love to have you with us, right? So, so that's uh, Tuesday, starting this Tuesday. There's going to be ones on Wednesday and Sunday in the summer as well. Um, but if you've got Tuesdays available now, just get signed up and do it. And then, then if you end up missing one or two, then you can come back and do it again uh, in the summer. So that's the plan. Love to see you sign up for that on the website. You can do it. Just let me know if you want as well starting this Tuesday morning. All right, the church needs teachers. The final thing, the church needs concerned givers. We see that in verses 27 to 30. Verses 27 to 30 say this, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And then Luke tells us this took place in the days of Claudius. Other historical record tells us that that happened as well. So God gives to this one man named Agabus this gift of prophecy able to foretell things that are going to happen. And the thing that he foretells that's going to happen is bad news. There's going to be a famine, right? All right, so, so now these new believers hear this news that there is going to be a famine. What, what are they going to do about it? Are they going to like go buy all the canned of pork and beans and put them in their concrete bunker and just hide out? Wait for the fam- That's not it. What are they going to do? Look at, I love this. Brand new believers, they must have been discipled well. Look what they do here in verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Isn't that cool? It's like, there's going to be a famine. Well, we got a lot right now. How about, how about we give it to the people in Judea? So it's kind of like everything so far had been like from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, up into here. And now they're just like, hey, God's given us resources and there's going to be problems and other people don't have what they need. Here, you take it and give it to them. Trusting the elders to do that work, right? Well, oh, 
praise God. Church, I would just again say this is part of what a growing church in Iowa Falls in the 21st century needs. We need concerned givers. I say concerned because, you know, it wasn't just like, again, they didn't, they didn't hear the news like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? They hear the news like, oh, how can we help? Right? That's, that's kind of the first reaction. God's given us much. How can we help? So church, you've done this. Through our benevolent fund, it's been used to bless many families in our church. When people with unique needs uh, come, come up, like uh, I just think of like Ryan and Amber over the last years, even just in recent weeks, Ryan and Jeanette, uh, we find ways, like we're going to be helpful in some way if we can. Uh, we've got a message out to Ed and Mindy who had to leave their mission post in Hungary and come back for medical treatment. We don't know what their financial needs are. Got a message out to them waiting to hear back from them. And if they let us know, hey, we have some extra financial needs, we'll communicate that to you. And I have no doubt that our church will give because we are a church that has a number of you who are just concerned givers, something we could all grow in. Uh, Mark commented a while back on this benevolent fund that our elders oversee. We have an, a special offering once a month uh, for that. Uh, as, as you give and we see needs in our church family, we give. And it's just like it just kind of keeps coming. Like we give it and then it just and more comes. And we give and more comes. Thankful. And then, and then I would also just mention too, just the general fund, right? Because we recognize that people have like real financial needs, but we also recognize that the greater needs, the spiritual needs that everybody has, that lost people would be found and that disciples would be raised up and sent out, that's, that's the work of the church. So when you give to the general fund, that's what you're giving to, right? To, to those things. So thank you for being a church of concerned givers. A growing church needs that. Here's what I want to do. I want to close, though, by uh, acknowledging what we just saw and not forgetting one really important point that we went over too quickly. Okay? Does the church need faithful evangelists? Yes. Does the church need faithful encouragers? Yes. Does the church need faithful teachers? Yes. Does the growing church need concerned givers? Yes. But God, God gives us gifts so that we might use them for that purpose, knowing that ultimately it depends on Him. So in our family worship time this week, we were going over this one book that we've been using uh, on some of the nights, and, uh, and it, it just said something that I, like, I never really thought of it that way. It said when you're a kid, think about this, kids, when you get gifts, most of the time the presents that you get, they're given to you just because you would enjoy that, right? But one thing that happens as you get older is when you get a gift or a present, it's usually something that you then use in order to serve other people. As you get older, like you get some new kitchen gadget so that you can make food for other people. You get some new tool so that you can fix stuff for other people, right? And that's really the intention of the gifts that God gives to his church. God gives gifts to his church not just for our enjoyment, although we also very much enjoy using the gifts that God gives. That's part of what Mark and Linda were talking about with, with youth group. That's part of just how I feel. And like, I don't, I don't wake up on Sunday like, seriously, I got to go preach to those people again? Like, I enjoy that, right? That, that when we, there, I mean, are there days when you're tired out? For sure. But generally, God gives us gifts that we enjoy using 
that we might use them for the good of others, right? But ultimately, what we need to remember is that, that us using gifts, us encouraging, us teaching, us doing all those things, that's great. But the only way anything of any eternal value is going to happen is if what happened in Antioch happens, and that is this, in verse 21. We went through it really quickly. I want to turn back to that. Verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. Church, I don't care how good you are at teaching, how much of your money that you give, how how well we encourage one another. If the hand of the Lord is not with us, we got nothing. Right? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. So our hope, in the end, is not like, we're, we're going to be this type of church. Again, we don't have to be cool, technological. Like we're just weird, lost, sinful, broken people that come together to make a weird, lost, broken, sinful, but found and redeemed church. Right? That's, that's who we are now. And so... The good news is that God is with us. That's what I love about the, the uh, usually when we talk about the Great Commission, I can't remember, like when our kids memorize the Great Commission in Awana, I can't remember what portion they memorize, but the part most of us remember is, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, and teaching them to obey everything He commanded. But, right before that, is this good news, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And right after that, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, and Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, our hope is not like, hey, we're going to just keep doing more and doing more better. No, our hope is that Jesus is with us. That's all we got. And for some of you, you don't have that. You don't have the assurance that, that Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit does not dwell in you because you have not yet turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, then I'd love to talk this week or like not even like this week, like today, like before you leave. I'd love to talk more. But for many of us who are gathered, the reason that we're gathered together today is because God has done that miraculous saving work in our life. We didn't, we didn't, like, we didn't kind of work, 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 and then have a really nice resume that we could present to God, right? The, the, the bar for entrance is really, really low. So if you're like, oh, I'm not like those other people. Yeah, you are. You're a sinner, just like we were, right? And so, so like, you're welcomed in as a sinner who acknowledges your sin before God and turns to Jesus in faith. Because one thing we can all agree on as a church is that our only hope is in Jesus, and if his hand's not with us, we're not getting anything good done, right? So, uh, that's all I have. That's a help of that for a conclusion. Uh, I'll just pray, and then we'll sing together. Let's do that. Father, thank you. Thank you uh, for your work. We know that salvation, sanctification, glorification, all of it is your work from beginning to end. And I thank you that we don't have to live with the pressure of being the perfect church because we know we're not. But God, I thank you that you choose to work through us. 
I pray for those who are not yet a part of the church, a part of the body of Christ, because they have not yet repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would cause them to be desperate enough that they would recognize that Jesus is their only hope, that they would join all of us who believe that, who believe that uh, Jesus is our only hope. I pray that you would remind us of that uh, now as we sing a song uh, that, that touches on that theme. And then all throughout the week, when we're tempted to depend on ourselves, maybe gifts that we have or, or whatever else, God, help us to be more frequently people who fall on our face in, in prayer, in desperation, acknowledging that you are our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.